Open up to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 24 through chapter 2, verse 5. And we're going to spend about 80% of our time in the first verse. And then we're going to fly through the rest of it. Um, Frankly, because some of it is just a repeat of things we've already talked about and things we will be talking about in the rest of Colossians. But I really want to key in on something Paul says And to get there, let me start with this question. What if I told you something was missing from the gospel of Jesus Christ? What if I told you there was something lacking or missing in the cross of Jesus Christ? Hopefully, some of you would say, wait a minute, Pastor. Um, You you, you teach us every week or, or other people have taught me that that's not true. We need Jesus plus nothing. There is nothing else we can add to the gospel of Jesus Christ for our own salvation. There is nothing lacking in the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's true. Hopefully, some of you have been paying attention to this sermon series. Say, wait a minute. You, you've been talking about how Paul wrote the book of Colossians, this letter to this church, to tell them, don't move on from the gospel. Don't add to the gospel. All you need is the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, dying on the cross to save you from your sins. That's what saves us. There's nothing to add to it. In fact, when you add to the gospel, you end up destroying the gospel of Jesus Christ. So why then, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, can Paul say this very phrase about what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction? As if there's something missing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where I want us to spend the bulk of our time today. What does Paul mean by this? What's he talking about? What is he not talking about? How did it apply to Paul? How did he see his life through this lens? And how does it apply to us still today? How Paul explains this, I believe, will give us a profound sense of perspective on our lives the mission of our lives, the suffering in our lives, and ultimately our goal as followers of Jesus Christ in this world. So I want to start with just these first couple verses and look at Paul's perspective on his suffering. Look at verses 24 to 26. Paul says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And, and here's this phrase, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Just three short verses. But as I said, this is where I want to spend the bulk of our time, specifically in verse 24. Paul starts this section casually, almost offhandedly mentioning his sufferings on behalf of the Colossians. Now, that should raise some questions. See, there are 
places in the book of Acts we can go to where Paul suffered in Corinth to bring the message to the Corinthians. There are places he went to other cities and suffered in that city or suffered along the way to bring the message there. But one of the unique things about uh, Colossae is that Paul had never been there. Paul didn't suffer to go to Colossae, and he didn't suffer in Colossae. So how can he tell the Colossian believers that he rejoices in what he's suffering for them? This begins to help us to understand how Paul sees his life and his ministry. You see, Paul sees all of his life as a ministry for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ for all believers. Everything he does is for the sake of his brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ in every way. Look at the language in the rest of this passage. Verse 25, he talks about he's become a servant of this gospel so he can present the word in its fullness to them. You hear the beating heart of his ministry. He longs to make sure they know everything there is to know about Jesus Christ. Verse 28, he talks about he proclaims and admonishes and teaches everyone. He's using one word after another to show how important this is to teach people the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 29 says he strenuously contends with all that's within him to present the gospel to people. Chapter 2, verse 1, he talks about how hard he is contending for the Colossian believers. Do you hear the passion? Paul's saying, I am going to do whatever it takes to bring the word of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to other people. And he starts off in verse 24, specifically mentioning his suffering. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Well, how was Paul suffering? We can look at the immediate context of when he's writing this. He is chained in jail, probably in Rome, writing this letter. He was often in jail and often used that to write letters. In fact, I would say most of his letters are written because he had a lot of time on his hands spending time in jail. And he thought, what can I do? Let's write some letters. Because for Paul, everything is ministry. And so he's kind of redeeming the time. So he's suffering in jail writing this letter. So maybe he's talking about that. But I think it's a lot bigger than that. Because what Paul was going through in this moment in this Roman jail was not, as he would say, filling up in his flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction. It was hard, but it wasn't really that bad. But I think we can get a better picture if we look at more of Paul's suffering. Paul lays this out in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. You can turn there if you wish to follow along. I'll put it up on the screen for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 28. Paul says, Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. And let's just get a sense of the context here. He was being accused by these so-called super apostles of being a lesser apostle. These teachers have come into the church and they said, yeah, Paul's great, but he's not as great as 
us. We've been through more. We've been through all these things. We're actually more important than Paul. And so Paul is having to stick up for his ministry of the gospel by listing some credentials. And one of the reasons he says he's out of his mind for this is that Paul understands how ridiculous it is to stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which says, pick up your cross and follow Jesus, by trying to have to talk about, this is what I've been through for Jesus Christ. He's in this awkward position of defending himself. So he says, listen, this is crazy, but I have to say this. And so he goes on. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Do you hear the sufferings he's been through? Those are not mere words. We have to pause with each phrase. Been in prison more frequently, flogged more severely, exposed to death again and again. Paul was near death numerous times in his life because of the gospel and because people were persecuting him because of the gospel. But look at verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. It's one of those phrases we can gloss over quickly. But we need to understand what's going on here. According to Jewish law, 40 lashes was considered extreme. Too much. Nobody could take that. You might kill the person. So let's be gracious and merciful. We're only going to give them 39. 39 lashes. They used a bundle of leather straps tied together. There's some evidence that occasionally they would kind of attach bits of shell or sharp things into the leather. Whether they did or not on these occasions really is irrelevant. The leather itself was enough. They would whip the person and pull. Each strike would shred ribbons of flesh off the back. It was a brutal and horrendous torture and punishment. The person's back would never heal correctly. They didn't have antibiotics. They didn't have a way to stop the infections from festering. And so the back would never heal Correctly, it would scab over and then scar over, leaving the person probably bent over from skin that wouldn't stretch correctly and living in what was possibly constant pain. And Paul went through this not once, not twice, five times his back was laid bare. Five times he was in situations where because he was standing up for the gospel of Jesus Christ and wanting to bring that message to other people, five times he endured this horrific beating. Can you imagine what his back must have been like as he penned those words? The scars across his back from his neck to his waist Skin that probably would not stretch and move, would hurt and itch, and it would be a constant struggle. That's not all he endured. 
Verse 25 of first, or 2 Corinthians 11 goes on to say, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. That three times I was, or once I was pelted with stones. This is, this is not the school bully just being annoying and throwing pebbles at someone. This was a stoning. It was a person pushed usually off a small ridge and then people picking up stones and throwing them at them with the hopes of killing them. And yet we know that Paul miraculously survived. And I wonder the marks on his body from from being beaten with rods, the marks on his body from the stones that had hit him says he was shipwrecked. He goes on to say in verse 26, I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. Think of the life he's describing. You're not going to see this on a brochure. Come join our missions. Come join the movement. It's going to be wonderful. This is suffering. Marks left on his body for the rest of his life. A life lived in constant danger. How sad it is that modern day Christians are trying to promote a gospel of Jesus Christ. Come accept Jesus and you'll always be happy, always be healthy, and everything will go great. What a lie from the pit of hell. That's not what Paul says. Paul suffered. But he goes on. I've labored and toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. And I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. I think it's amazing. There's this building crescendo of suffering. And at the tip of it, Paul says, but more so than all of this, what really gets me is I care about those people. Those people who need to know Jesus Christ. Those people who do know Jesus Christ, but they need to grow in their faith. Those people who are being tempted to walk away from Jesus Christ and give in and change their faith and walk away from the gospel. Paul has a beating heart of passion for the church of Jesus Christ. And he understands, he understands that to bring the gospel to people often involves or requires suffering. Now let's look back at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 verse 24, he says he rejoices in what he suffers for them. Because he believes there's something in the suffering that he goes through that is good for other people. That in some way, shape, or form, his suffering is serving them. How? And that's where we come to the phrase we want to go deeply into. Paul sees his sufferings at the end of verse 24 as a filling up what is lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. 
Christ's afflictions here is pretty obvious. It refers to Christ, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, suffering and dying on the cross. This is the gospel. The good news that it was our punishment to take, and yet the Son of God took it for us. He suffered in our place. Paul always, throughout his letters, emphasizes that the gospel, this good news about Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection, is all we need to be saved. We cannot add to it. We cannot subtract from it. In fact, throughout the book of Colossians, this is his main theme. In chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, he talks about, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's Jesus Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Elsewhere, beginning of the book of Romans, where he goes deep into what the gospel is and what it means for both the Jews and the Gentiles. He kind of gives his theme verse in Romans 1, 16 and 17, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings the salvation, that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Is there anything missing in the gospel of Jesus Christ? And Paul's overwhelming answer and everywhere else that he writes is absolutely not. There is nothing lacking in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is all we need for salvation. We cannot add to it our good works. We cannot try to be good enough to come to the cross of Jesus Christ. The reason there's a cross is that we are not good enough. And he had to pay the price for us. We don't cause God to love us. We don't clean ourselves up and fix ourselves up for God. The gospel is all we need for salvation. We can add nothing to it in terms of our salvation. So why then? Why in Colossians 1.24 does Paul say, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction? What is it that's lacking? And how is it that Paul sees this filling up in his flesh? The first, or rather the second question, I think is easier. What is he talking about filling up in his flesh? Well, he started right away by saying, now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. So that's where he's talking about his flesh. There's something about the suffering he has gone through in his flesh, in his body, that he sees as instrumental in filling up this whatever is lacking in the gospel. So what is it that's lacking? It cannot be the effectiveness of the gospel. The gospel is effective all by itself. It 
saves us. It is the truth that saves us. It is, it cannot be the completeness of the gospel. The gospel is full to completion. It is finished on the cross of Jesus Christ. So what is it that Paul is saying here is lacking? Turn with me to Philippians chapter two. Probably just hang a left, a page or two. There's a very helpful passage because Paul uses the exact same words. And by looking at this context, we can better understand the other. Philippians chapter 2, verses 29 to 30. In this passage, Paul is talking about sending back to the Philippians this man named Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus had been sent by the Philippians with a gift of support to Paul, who was, strangely enough, in jail at the time. Now, in that time, it wasn't the government that provided for the prisoners. They didn't pay for their food. They didn't pay for their clothing. The prisoners had to provide for the prisoners. And, of course, the prisoners couldn't do that. And so family members and others had to provide the food and the clothing for the prisoners. That's how it worked. And so if Paul didn't receive gifts from these other churches, he was in big trouble. And the Philippians loved Paul. He had spent time with them and served them. They wanted to send a gift. And so they sent it with Epaphroditus. Now, on the way to bring this gift, Epaphroditus got so sick, he almost died. He comes and he meets with Paul. He gives them the gift from the Philippians and he recovers. And now Paul is sending him back. And so let's look at verses 29 to 30 of Philippians chapter 2. He says, So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Now, it's not as obvious in the English, but it's almost identical in the Greek. This thing that was lacking in the Philippians' gift. Now, I kind of imagine like if you've ever been out to lunch with someone and they say they'll leave the tip and you look at the tip and it's like, oof, that's kind of light. I'm just going to make up a little bit, right? I'm just going to put a little bit more on there because that's kind of embarrassing. Is that what he's talking about? Did Epaphroditus, was he bringing a gift from the Philippians and and Epaphroditus is looking at the gift going, man, I really think they could have done better. I'm just going to add another 20 onto this. Like this will help Paul out. That's not what he's talking about. What was lacking in the gift? The gift that the Philippians were sending was good and it was helpful and it was enough. But what was lacking? It should be obvious, right? The Philippians couldn't bring the gift themselves. That's what was lacking. The whole church didn't get up and say, hey, we're taking a trip to visit Paul and we're all going to bring the gift with us. No, they picked Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus went. Now, It's so obvious, I think, with Epaphroditus and the situation of the gift. But if we take what's obvious here and bring it back into our verses in Colossians, I think it is very, very helpful. So go back to Colossians 1.24. What is Paul saying by saying, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions? The gospel of Jesus Christ is a complete and finished gift. It's done. Accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection. And the gift is there. 
Paul cannot add to the effectiveness of the gospel. No one can. What is lacking in the gospel of Jesus Christ is bringing the gospel to people. It needs a messenger to bring the message of the truth of Jesus Christ to people. The gospel of Jesus Christ must be proclaimed. It must be told as a truth, a message that is proclaimed. Paul says in verse 1-5 that the gospel is a message. In verse uh, chapter 123, he says this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. But he's talking about something a little bit more. Because the message of I fill up in my flesh in regards to his suffering, Paul sees that there's something about what he's gone through in his suffering that is necessary in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ must not just be proclaimed, it must be demonstrated. We become a display of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? That message, or that question rather, is probably too much for us to totally tackle this morning. But let me just give you a few tidbits. In Matthew chapter 16, 24 and 26, Jesus calls his followers to take up their cross and follow him. The message of the gospel is that this world is not all there is. And human selfishness is equated with human sinfulness, just getting what we want. And the gospel turns that on its head and says, no, no, take up your cross, live for something greater than you, and even be willing to suffer along the way. The men's group, we've been looking at the letter of 1 Corinthians. Paul says over and over again how the wisdom of the gospel, the wisdom of God, is contrary to and opposite from the wisdom of this world. They are completely out of sync. And so when we live out the wisdom of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a world that doesn't understand it, there is a clash which often will result in suffering. Paul understands that his suffering was a demonstration and a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he lived with this beating heart of passion and concern that others would hear the gospel and see the gospel in his life. And he wants them to know this gospel to its fullness, he says in verse 25. He wants to reveal to them this mystery that's been long held and is now being revealed that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has died in their place. Paul's perspective on his sufferings was that his sufferings weren't ultimately about him. That how he endured and what he did was so that others could hear the message of Jesus Christ and see the message of Jesus Christ embodied in what he went through. Frankly, he did this because he saw the gospel as greater than his suffering. He had a greater goal. He had a greater goal than just his own personal satisfaction or, or comfort. He had the goal of proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 27. It says, To them, 
God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This mystery that is revealed in Jesus Christ, this presence of Christ in their life, this hope of glory. Throughout the Old Testament, there's this beautiful picture of the tabernacle in the temple. And God's people, this ragtag group of people that, that really had no ability to claim any worth of their own, but God had called them. And they set up the tabernacle and eventually the temple and the presence of God dwells in their midst. The glory of God is with them. And Paul talks about this, Christ in you. He says everything has changed because now the presence of the all-powerful, almighty God is in you if you are saved by Jesus Christ. This is the goal that he has in his ministry. Look at verses 28 through chapter 2, verse 1. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ to this end. I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Paul worked hard to bring the gospel to people. It was inconvenient and uncomfortable on so many different levels. But he wanted them not just to hear the gospel and pray a prayer, but to grow and mature in the relationship with Jesus Christ. He continues this throughout the rest of the letter, how he has this passion for them to grow. Look at verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you've been with us the past couple of weeks, you know throughout the, the book of Colossians and this letter, Paul warns them against these people bringing this fuller gospel, this deeper wisdom that people were latching onto and saying, oh, this is good. This is more spiritual, more wise. And they were being led astray by these false messages. And Paul's antidote is to help them to be mature in the gospel. I believe, friends, too many Christians today are satisfied with a surfacey, superficial understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray a prayer, and we listen to some sermons, and we never go deeper into the word and understanding who our Savior truly is and what he's actually done for us. And when struggles come, persecution, or temptations. Our roots are shown to be shallow. But Paul has this greater goal, worthy of his suffering, to help people to know Christ and to go deep in that relationship with Christ. He goes on to another step in verse 4. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. The greatest protection against false teaching and false doctrine is a deep and mature and solid faith in Jesus Christ. It's not reading everything there is to know about all the movements of the world and all the cults. It's knowing Jesus Christ. So that when other things come along, you can say, that's not Jesus. That's not what the word says. He does not want them to be deceived. 
And then look at verse 5. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. I love that phrase because we know from all of this letter that these people are struggling in their faith. And yet Paul says, I know, I know you believe. I know you're standing firm. Keep going in it. But we need to remember what Paul says in verse 29. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul's not going, look at what I've done. Look at how steadfast I've been. Look at how I've preached and how I've proclaimed. Paul ultimately says, I could do none of that if it wasn't for the strength of Christ in me. A few moments, we're going to sing a song. Yet not I but Christ in me. That's what the song is all about. We can't do it for ourselves. We must strenuously contend, toil, work, struggle, even suffer at times for the sake of holding on to the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, and demonstrating the gospel. But it's all done not with our own energy, but with the energy of Christ at work in us so that he gets all the glory Have you ever known people in your life that have truly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ to you? Proclaimed it in words, message of the truth of who Jesus is. Proclaimed it in deeds, living the gospel, even to the point of suffering for the gospel. Friends, today we must choose to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world needs the gospel. Our friends and relatives, our culture, our country, and every country around the world needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can try to choose an easy path. Avoiding suffering. Seeking our own comfort and our own happiness. But I guarantee if we do that, what we will be proclaiming is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying we should look for suffering, choose suffering, run after suffering. I'm not saying that, and Paul doesn't say that either. What we choose is the gospel of Jesus Christ and a life that proclaims and demonstrates the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we accept and acknowledge that may in fact lead to and through suffering. My prayer is in those moments, we will see that suffering as an opportunity to proclaim and display the gospel. But to do this, we've got to know the gospel. Believe the gospel. Grow in the gospel. We can't just proclaim Jesus on Sunday and then live on our own the rest of the week and think that we will stand fast in the moment of trial. We need to heed the words of Paul that we'll look at next week in chapter 2, 6, and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. The gospel proclaimed is often best done through a life rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ 
which will often mean that we will suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope that we will have the beating heart of Paul to say, if that's what it takes to proclaim the gospel, I'm just going to keep following Jesus, come what may. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are hard truths. I thank you for the example of men like Paul. It's easy to look at these guys and think that they're some sort of Jesus superheroes. Larger than life. They have superpowers that we can never hope to own up to or to live up to. But that's just not true. They were people, just like us, struggling along the way. But they made a choice to trust in your son Jesus and to follow no matter what. And I pray, Father, today we would make that same choice. Come what may, no matter what persecution or suffering we may endure because of it. God, this is a hard path. And yet the effectiveness of Paul's ministry is not only written all over the New Testament, but written all over history with what you did through that man willing to suffer for your sake in order to proclaim, present, and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the movement that he was a part of is still going on today. And you still call us to trust you, to follow you, and even, yes, at times to suffer for you. I pray, Father, we would understand that higher calling, that desire and that goal of presenting and displaying the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that when you choose to use us as messengers to bring that truth to others, we would be ready and willing to trust you and follow no matter what. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.